once you start letting these things in, you know, it leads to so many other thoughts. You know, you start having suicidal tendencies. You know, I'm not proud of it, but I would admit that, you know, I contemplated suicide a number of times and, you know, attempted it also once. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today we've got David Thirimer on the line all the way from India. This is very exciting because this is our first guest all the way from that side of the world. Um, he is a life coach, entrepreneur, a youth training expert, and a motivational speaker. And we connected probably about a year ago talking about the podcast and that sort of thing. David reached out to me through LinkedIn. And ever since then, we've seen we've, we've got lots of alignment in, in the way that we work and become friends. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is exciting. It's my first ever podcast. So. This is so exciting. <laughs> yes, we're all excited over here. <laughs> yeah, excited and nervous, but wow. You know, you you think after, you know, all these years, I mean, I, I've been speaking and training for about 12 years now in over 20 countries of the, of the world, you know, so many different groups of people, but, and I kid you not, anytime <laughs> I'm about to do anything, I just get so nervous. Which is because, hilarious because you, know, you do big audiences as well. I know, I know, but that, that's the very interesting thing about it because I don't know. I've always been taught that don't open your mouth unless something of value is going to come out of it. No pressure. And so I guess I kind of got that from my mom because my mom's very selective in the things that she says. And so, you know, people always listen to her more than my dad because my dad talks a mile a minute, but whenever my mom speaks, there's something important. So my mom always taught me, don't be someone who just spreads hot air, you yeah. know, say what's important. So every time I'm about to go out there, I always second guess myself. I'm like, am I, what, is what I'm going to say going to actually make an impact or something? So it leaves a little bit of nervousness, but I suppose that's a good thing because it, you know, it kind of says, okay, it makes me think that, all right, let's do the best I can here. I think you're right. I think it's healthy. Like no matter how many audiences I've spoken in front of, you never fully know the vibe of that audience or the flow yeah. of what, do you know what I mean? And so it's like you, you've got to channel it into healthy adrenaline to actually be your best self. Exactly. And before that healthy adrenaline, you spend like five minutes feeling like you got food poisoning. Kind of. <laughs> but you know what was, um, I, I heard about, I saw an interview with a comedian who I quite like, uh, Russell Kane. Um, he's, he's hilarious. And I saw an interview with him about like, you know, what happens. He's, and he's amazing. And he does like amazing shows, sellout shows. And he said, every time I vomit before I go on stage. And I was like, oh, this like imposter syndrome isn't just for those of us who've had maybe a tricky background or, or anything like that. It's actually people just have it, but they just sometimes do it afraid, right? So um, give, us, give us a little bit of insight into the work that you do. Like, what are you passionate about at the moment? What's going on? Well, um, it's a good thing you asked what I'm passionate about because I have a lot of stuff that I do and I don't want to take the entire podcast speaking about sure. all the things <laughs> I'm involved with. But what I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about changing lives, to be completely honest, because, you know, there's nothing more inspiring for me than seeing someone walk away and transform their world based on a conversation that they've had with me. 
mean, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to like, you know, 10, 20,000 people or just one person. I always look for that one person in there who just in it, you know, who's the lights turn on their eyes and they're like, yes, you know, let's go out and change the world. Because I honestly believe that with every person, there's a seed of greatness and that seed of greatness kind of, you know, carries them forward and will transform this entire world. I mean, if you look at all the greats throughout history, they were just common people like the rest of us. And, you know, it's just a matter of that passion being awakened within each person. And I know that because I guess that was me years ago. I mean, I was on a very different path. I would have ended up in a bunch of different places. And one person, you know, just randomly helped out in some way, left me with a, you know, a thought or something. And that kind of transformed my life to where I'm able to transform other lives as well. So So, so was there an actual moment for you? like a one single person or was it sort of a string of events that maybe affected you in that way? Uh, it was, it was a string of different events, but everyone kind of, you know, cause I'm a little bit thick headed, you know, some people, they get it on the first try and they're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And you know, me, it was kind of like, Oh, okay, this is a good inkling. And then, you know, I have to get a push for another direction and stuff. So, but it's good because I get a, um, a lot of, a lot of you know people who have difficulty getting the point relate to me because like oh yeah it took me a long time to get there too but yeah i think but if i actually had to narrow it down to one point and something it would probably be my teenage years mm. because you know formative years everyone goes through them some people love them some people hate them you know we all go through a, a random experiences but i think that was kind of like the catalyst that kind of made me want to you know uh live live a better life live a life that was impacting others and helping other people to live their best lives as well amazing okay so okay so before we get into that the teenage years and that catalyst give us just a little bit of context of what it was like growing up for you sort of did your did your parents the education system kind of set you up build your resilience and set you up for the real world Uh, well this is very interesting because um i'm from a large family how many kids there's nine nine kids in our family plus mom and dad so you know and in India, that's a very shocking thing. Okay. I remember one time dad got up to give a talk and there was someone before him and he's like, I have a huge family. I've got four kids. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then he's like, I got nine. And everyone was like, no, that can't be. You only have one wife or two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, growing up with nine siblings, you know, it was a very interesting experience. Plus my, my mom and dad are from two different parts of the world. Dad's Indian, mom's French. Okay. So. Okay, so you had the cross-cultural thing going on. That cross-cultural connection. And then plus, my dad had a very, you know, like an alternate kind of career. He was involved a lot in social work. He's a social worker. And, you know, for over 36 or 37 years now, he's been working with the deaf, with the elderly, with the underprivileged all across India. So So, he had a quite purpose-driven life. Oh, yeah. And especially so in India, because if you've had any experience here with this country or met people from there or talked to them or watched movies from here or, you know, heard comedians like Russell Peters talk about it. You know, you kind of have your set things of what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Yeah. And these are like accepted things. Yeah. And then dad, dad coming from a pretty high up family, deciding that he wanted to dedicate his life to, you know, helping those who didn't have the voice for themselves kind of was a bit of a big change. But, um, you know, so we grew up in that context of, you know, reaching out, helping others and, you know, just being surrounded by people less fortunate than us, plus cross culture. So, you know, we had the Indian side of our upbringing. We had the foreign side of our upbringing. And it was it was a very, very interesting context and culture. to grow. But you grew up in India. So you, you spent your childhood there. 
I spent most of my childhood in India, yes. And um, I traveled a bit. You know, I spent some time in Italy. I spent some time in France. But most of the time, it was here in India. Okay. So you're, so you're already a little bit on the outside of maybe the normal Indian traditional type culture. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but you do have a sort of role model, I guess, or, or a, a way of seeing the world a little bit differently um, through, through your dad taking a social work route and through seeing sort of variety of people from different backgrounds. And so I imagine that would have had some impact as well on the, you know, the purpose that you're talking about now. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the main thing I got from that is the fact of transformation, like anybody can change. Okay. Because, you know, you see some people who, you know, society gives up on them and they become great things. Like there was one person my dad worked very closely with. He was deaf and um, he loved to dance. And his parents are like, this, this guy is useless. Why does a deaf person want to dance? But then, you know, my dad would kind of coach him and kind of let him have the freedom. And he actually went on to win some national awards in the country for his really? ability. And when people, yeah. And when people would watch him dance, they were just mind blown. They could not believe the fact that he could not hear anything, but he would wear shoes that would allow him to feel the beat on the floor. And so he would time his dancing according to that. And, you know, he would, he would share his, his story to other deaf people and also to hearing people. And that would just like mind blow them and say like, okay, well, if he can do that, what can't I overcome? So I guess that was kind of a good context for me to grow up with. And it kind of, you know, it gives me encouragement, like even working with, you know, some of the hardest cases right now, you know, it's like, yeah, but I know transformation is possible. You just got to believe in it. And, you know, it's a change can happen to anybody. Absolutely. And sometimes our role is simply planting that seed, right? I know you work with with teenagers and, and I have as part of my career as well. So so talk us through those teenage years for you. So you said there was a catalyst moment or it was a tough time. Talk us through that bit. Well, teenage years, I mean, let me just set it up, I guess, with my theory on teenagers. You know, I think the one word, one thing that everyone is looking for in their teenage years is significance. Mm -hmm. Right. Because trying to figure out who you are, what is my identity? You know, what am I here for? What is how did my significance? And then we try to find significance in so many different ways. You know, some people find it through academics. Some people find it through sports. Some people find it, you know, through through music, belonging as well, like trying to fit in. Exactly. Trying to fit in, belonging to a group. It's got, you know, people kind of look for other people in the same boat and kind of join to them. And then there are some people who, you know, just, make an identity out of not fitting in anywhere or, you know, being a person that's hard to relate to. And, you know, there are some people who are naturally attracted to those people and, you know, kind of, you know, take a, take an aggressor mindset over them. Whereas those people like to take on the uh, victim mindset, but everyone is kind of going through their own, I guess their own hell at that time. And they're all it's transition, right? Exactly. Because, you know, you have no idea what, you know, who you are, you know, your body's changing, your hormones are changing, your mind is changing. And, you know, this, if, you know, if you know, um, I'm not sure how it is in that part of the world, but in this part of the world, no one really talks about those things. Okay. You know, you don't really have like strong role models to speak about, you know, the changes that you're undergoing mentally, the things, the changes that you're undergoing physically, because, you know, in India, especially, it's quite a taboo subject you know, the whole the passing threshold of childhood into adulthood and stuff and pre-adolescence and adolescence. So it's a very confusing time for people. And so you're kind of left on your own to 
you know, trying to formulate your opinions on things. And so because of that, everyone kind of acts out on it in different ways. Mm. And so just to go back to my story, you know, I was in none of those things. I wasn't exactly very smart. <laughs> I wasn't very athletic. You know, I wasn't very good looking. And, you know, I was someone who, you know, was really wanted to be accepted, but kind of drew a lot of pride also out of no one likes me. And I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah. And so automatically what that kind of led to was a lot of, I guess, a lot of bullying and abuse from my peers, you know, both physical and mental. Mm. And I spent the years between 13 to 17 kind of really, really going through rough times. You know, already you're almost an alien from a different planet, kind of, you know, being between two different cultures. And then now you, you know, you're in a different system, you're in a different place, you're surrounded by people who are also going through changes, you're experiencing changes. And it's, I would say that, you know, those, those four years were actually pretty, pretty brutal times for me. It's just during those times, you know, you feel very depressed, you feel caught up in a lot of different things. And, you know, you see all these cliques kind of forming, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you see all the athletes banding together and all the socialites banding together and all the smart people kind of banding together. And then, you know, it just makes sense that the people who were kind of like outcasts from all those groups could have gotten together and, you know, formed their own uncool club, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is that the uncool club is more like a lack of a club. (laughs) Because every single one of these uncool kids all want to be a cool kid. So they're all trying to get into those things by distancing themselves from each other who are, you know, for the others who are going through that exact same experience. So instead of finding camaraderie for other people who were going through the same situations that I was and finding support from, you know, my peers who are also being bullied and stuff, you know, you distance yourself from them. And so not only did you end up ostracized, but you ended up lonely as well. So lonely. Isolate, which is so much worse for your mental health, for that feeling of depression and all the rest of it. Oh, yes, completely. And, you know, once you start letting these things in, you know, it leads to so many other thoughts. You know, you start having suicidal tendencies. You know, I'm not proud of it, but I would admit that, you know, I contemplated suicide a number of times and, you know, attempted it also once at some point. Mm. Because, you know, once... Once you get your mind kind of full with these things, you know, it's all that you kind of think of. Like, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching for young people and we always talk about the behavioral funnel. And, you know, every, every action comes from an emotion, which comes from a thought, which is triggered by a belief you have about yourself. And so the more you condition your mind with these beliefs, the more your emotions get impacted by it and the more that you will act out, you know, in very different ways. And so, you know, because because my thoughts and my beliefs weren't in the right place. My emotions were all over the place. You know, you're sad, you're angry, you're depressed. And so the actions that it generally leads to weren't the greatest. So, of course. Yeah. What about, so you're one of nine siblings. And so I'm curious about, you know, support networks, just as far as did anyone know that this was going on? Were you able to share this with even any of your siblings or anyone? Well, it was not exactly. Mm-hmm. because, you know, they're also trying to figure things out for themselves, right? Sure. And I, I have an older brother who was kind of like, you know, anti-me. Anti-me as in, you know, he was smart, he was good-looking, he was oh, suave. <laughs> the opposite. He was very athletic, you know, he was good with the girls. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was always captain of the sports team. You know, re- re- really kind of like, you know, the complete opposite of who I was. So I always felt that, you know, we would never really connect on that. 
Yeah. And, you know, to kind of, for him to kind of fit in also, because, you know, he's going through his own things as well. So he also um, distanced himself from me from a bit also. So it's, it, it was interesting. Well, hardcore. And I'm hearing about some rock bottom moments there just in, in attempting suicide or certainly having those thoughts and feelings. Um, so at 17, what started changing or who did you, did you have role models or what was that little bit, like the next bit? Okay. It actually, for me, it all came to a head um, when we had actually gone for a leadership training camp, kind of like a slash summer camp. Okay. And this was, this was run by, you know, some Americans and stuff who were trying a new concept. You know, summer camp is huge in the U S parts of Europe, India, it's a completely foreign concept. You know, you want summer camp, you send your kids to go play badminton or something like that. That is summer camp. Yeah. yeah. This this was a unique concept. There was about, you know, we were going to go somewhere for about three, four weeks. There was going to be people from all over the country who were there. It was going to be very interesting experience. And so you know, I was excited to go until I got there and found out that some of the people I really disliked followed me. Ooh, uh-oh. <laughs> and, and, you know, within, I'd say, 24 to 48 hours, it was back to where it was. So here I thought, this is my new start. No one knows me. You know, I'm going to be... Your escape. You know, yeah, my escape route. And sure enough, you know, you'll always find... You know, we kind of attract different types of people. Uh-huh. And so when you're so engrossed in the victim mindset, you generally find people to bully you or abuse you or take advantage of you. To almost reinforce yeah. that message that you have about yourself. Exactly. Because, mm. uh, you know, if that's the belief that we have about ourselves, we always find, try to find ways to reinforce it. I mean, Anthony Robbins does a great job when he talks about this. And he says that the strongest force in the human body is the need to stay consistent with your belief system. And so if this is the story you tell yourself, if this is what you believe, I'm unloved, I'm unworthy, I don't you know, no one likes me, everyone's against me, it's us against the world mentality. And by us, I mean me, myself, and I. Then, you know, then automatically you will, you will find people who will reinforce that on you. And so it, it was pretty bad, you know, got left, be, left behind in the woods on a camping trip, you know, got physically abused in the boys' dorm. A lot of things I'd like to forget, but that was, that was my birthday during one of, during one of the, the, those times. And this was kind of like a breaking point for me. Because, you know, usually for a birthday, you get everyone together, you know, you sing happy birthday, you bring out the cake. And then at the end, you know, everyone comes up, shakes your hand, gives you a hug, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Piece of cake and goes. So when it came, when, it, when they put off all the lights and brought out the cake and they're like, hey, let's sing for David. And, you know, they started everything up, you know, the whole happy birthday to you. Yeah. The room emptied. <gasps> I kid you not. To a man, every one of my peers left the room. Shut up. I am not kidding. And I was devastated. I left as well. I didn't wait for them to finish singing the song. Went out, went straight, locked myself in in the bathroom. And then I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. So there was woods around the property. I ran out and I stayed in the woods overnight. And that was probably the lowest I've ever, ever been. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I cried more that night than I've ever cried in my entire life. And I was like, why am I living? What, what, what's the purpose of me being here? You know, no one even cares if I'm here. In fact, my presence here doesn't seem to make anyone happy. People are happy when I'm not here because, you know, I'm here all night and no one has even bothered to come searching for me to see if I'm gone or anything. And so, you know, that night was probably, I think, had I not had a bit of mental courage and probably not, you know, still had the, 
attachment to my parents or, you know, probably just a little bit of cowardice, that probably would have been the end of my story mm. <laughs> here on earth. But luckily I had, you know, I had a little bit of strength left and I just crawled back. I'm like, okay, I'm going to write my parents and I'm going to tell them I'm coming home because this is it. I'm done. So, um, got back to camp, wrote the letter home. and was like, you know, please get me out of here. And a couple of days later, you know, my parents had not got the letter yet because this is before email. This is old school. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Old old school snail mail, maybe a phone call or something. And then let them see what they do. And even then phone call, no cell phones. So, no. (laughs) So this, yeah, this was interesting. So it was someone else's birthday. It was this other girl. And once again, the lights go off. Once again, the music starts playing. And once again, people start leaving. And at this moment, it just hits me super hard. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not alone in this. Oh, I see. So you're like, I, this isn't an isolated experience. This isn't an isolated experience. The world is not all against me. There is someone else who is going through the exact same thing. And, you know, there's, have you seen that, that movie Black Hawk Down? Yes. There's that one scene when they're all getting shot up, no? And then the like driver does the whole get... movie, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is the entire movie. Yeah. But there's one, one really impactful scene that, you know, I, that, you know, comes to me often. You know, yeah. the driver just get the driver just gets killed and the general screams to a guy in the back and he's like, get up, get and drive. And the guy's like, I can't drive. I'm shot. And the general says, everybody is shot. Just get up and drive. And I think um, that kind of really hit me at that point. Like, yeah, everybody is shot. Everyone is going through their own hell here. Mm. You know, this famous writer, I can't recall who it is, but he said that everyone is in hell just facing different demons. And I think at that moment, it really, really hit me. You know, I'm, when I was going through a rough time, I had spoken to one of, you know, my mentors a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know, this sucks. My life sucks. You know, mm-hmm. everyone doesn't like me. And they said something super profound that, you know, it didn't really stick with me at that point. But it just it's the first thing that entered in my mind when I saw that thing happen with that girl. And what she, what that mentor told me was that you don't own the monopoly on pain. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. The, you know, there are others who are going through their own pain as well. They just don't see. And I shrugged it off at that time. I was like, what is she talking about? Yeah, yeah. But at that moment, that's all I can think about. You do not own the monopoly on pain. There is someone else who is going through the exact same thing. And not on the other side of the world, right there in front of my eyes. But isn't, so it, I, isn't it interesting, though, that when we're in it, when our brain is just in that victim mentality, it pretty much feels impossible to actually notice that anyone else might have a backstory. It's like we reinforce this isolation, right? That we are the, no one will understand. And then we feel shame about what we're going through and don't talk about it. And it's the lack of talking about it, which, which kind of perpetuates this idea that nobody, we, we have, nobody else is going through and nobody else will understand what we're going through. Absolutely. See, there's, um, the scientists, you know, have, have uh, decided that, I mean, determined, discovered, whatever it is, that the average human being has 60,000 thoughts in their head a day. But only between 100 to 500 of those thoughts become conscious because there's a certain part of our brain called the reticular activating system. And that funnels every one of you know, our conscious thoughts into our brain. So if the, your constant mindset and pattern is that you know, this is about me, I'm the only one who's going through this, I'm the only one who's facing that, those are the only thoughts you will have on a daily basis. 
again and again and again. So like you said, it's, it's, per, it's, it's absolutely true that, you know, you won't, your eyes won't be open to the people going, suffering around you. You know, you won't look at other situations and actually see that, hey, your life is actually better than those. No, because you're so caught up in your own pain. You're so caught up in your, in your own difficulties. And it's valid. It's absolutely valid. The pain that you're going through is real and it hurts, hurts like hell. My pain hurt like hell. But in that moment, I realized that there is other people who are facing that, that same pain. And in that moment, I kind of had a choice. Do I leave too? Mm. Ooh. Or do I stay? Yeah. So like there's, there's an action that you need to take, a message that you can send through action or inaction, I guess. Exactly. And so all my friends are pouring out of the room. And I remember this in slow motion because I can see the doors open. I can see people leaving. I can see that girl on stage. Her face is dropping. And I just couldn't move. Mm. I just couldn't leave. So I, uh, by some, some strength or the other, song finished. I went up, shook her hand, happy birthday, took a piece of cake and went. And honest to God, we became best friends. And we were friends for years after that. And, you know, we kind of, she was a person who kind of helped me through a lot in my life. I, I like to think I helped her through stuff in her life as well. And, but that I kind of felt it was, it was the turning point for me start realizing that, you know, we're all going through it and it's okay. And so that was the start of the turning point. And I know that you are now in this position where you're helping thousands of lives all the time and you have so many different exciting projects. And, um, and so I'm always curious about the, that messy middle bit. So we've got your rock bottom moment, your catalyst of like, I'm not the only one. There's other people in the world. You're still a kid though, right? You still, you still have those people that are bullies and, and all of that. You still have habits around your thought process and all the rest of it. And, and then fast forward, you're in this amazing position where you've got this science and learning and you're giving back. So talk us through just that, that, that little middle bit of, you know, well, how do you take the first step forward? How do you begin changing your thoughts? How do you continue to persevere and, and build up to where you're at now? Mm. Well, um, it was a story that someone shared with me about this guy who goes down to this beach and it's at low tide. The waves have gone out. You know, there's a million starfish on the beach. Just everywhere you look, there's starfish. And this one little boy is going over there, picking up the starfish one by one and flinging them back into the water. And this guy walks up to him and says, what are you doing? And he's like, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm saving the starfish. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In this typical five-year-old arrogance. Yeah. And this man is like, well, I'm, I'm a wise person and I want you to turn around and look at all the starfish on this beach. And there's no way that you can, you know, get everyone out, you know, mathematical formula. If you throw one per second, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the little yeah. kid just holds up his hand and says, watch. He picks up a starfish, throws it in the water and says, see, made a difference for that one, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you might not be able to save the whole beach, but you could save that one. Yeah. And for me, that was kind of the mindset that I adopted from there. Like, okay. You know, my staying in the room that day with that girl probably saved her life. And she actually admitted to me that it did. Mm. And so I might not be able to influence the entire school. I might not be influence every person I talk to. But let me find that one person to help in that day. Find one person who is going through a difficulty themselves. Find one person whose life is also sucking at that moment. And just be there for them as a friend. Try to find out what is going on and how do we move on from that point. And once you start doing that, you start finding more people to help. Well, and then, uh, and you also have a sense of purpose. 
Absolutely. You, you begin to have a reason for all of the crap that you've been through and for, a, you know, you can begin to see a path forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I still carry that purpose with me today. Even before I get on stage, doesn't matter where I am, doesn't matter how many people are there. I always stop and I always tell myself, you know, it's kind of like my mantra or whatever it is. Before I get on stage, I'm like, let me help one person. Let there be one starfish in that audience who I can, you know, I, whose life I can save today. And it's still what gets me going up in the morning and it still gets me going over there. But going back to what you said about the messy middle period, mm. you, what you said is perfect. You've got to have that purpose. You've got to have something that gets you up and, and moving. And when you start doing that in small ways, you know, people start giving you bigger opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so if you can impact one life, that guy's life has changed. What's he going to do? He's going to go find three or four other people and say, hey, meet this guy. Listen to this guy. You know, put this guy here. Let him yeah. talk over there. I mean, so, some, of, some of my biggest uh, openings have all come through, you know, word of mouth people or through friends booking them. Like I have one person who attended one of my conferences in India about four years ago. And I'm currently under contract with him now. And I've done seminars with him in about seven different countries. Because he's just, I have found a way to impact his life. And now he's like, I'm taking you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like a so. ripple effect. If you just manage the day and the one person and change your perspective a little bit, that ripple effect just begins because it's genuine as well, right? Um, it's yeah. from a heart place. It's from a soul place. Like I resonate yeah. with that a lot. Um, and then the ripple effect uh, starts to, to starts to come up. Um, and also, you work with teenagers, and I relate to this a lot because I had a tough teenage, you know, time in my life where it was just dark and used alcohol quite a bit, and just tried to erase myself through destructive behaviors, right? And it really informed not only supporting people but helping that beautiful age group because it is just such a a tricky time. And I know even if the people don't know that they affected me. I know the couple of people that just saw me and made me feel like I mattered and said something that gave me hope or, you know, so, so there's yep. something that it seems to be a thread that has been connected to your teenage years, that dark time and the purpose within the projects you do with teenagers. Would you say yep. that like that your personal experience is the direct kind of influence on, on those types of projects that you do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think the most important thing is just giving people significance. When it comes to working with young people, it's just give them significance. And because I know that's what I craved as a youngster, that's what every, I, I think all my peers who I've, the funniest thing is, uh, just off topic a little bit, but all the people who, you know, I kind of had difficulties with is, as a teen, some of them are my closest friends now. It's Because they were just going weird. through their own stuff. Yeah, exactly. Once, you know. Yeah, because you you grow out of it. Once you get, I guess, you know, kind of have the time to process it, to find your own space, you know, to find your purpose, to find your own value, your own identity, then, you know, you you undergo that change as a person. The funniest thing is there was a guy called Phil who was like one of the my major bullies. And, you know, believe it or not, a couple of years ago when I started one of my other companies, he was one of the first guys I hired. Was he? We, okay. Yeah, we, we still have a good working relationship together, of course. You know, I changed his name but yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's we we have a very good connection together so it's you, you you do grow out of it you do you know we mature we learn things as we go i think li life is life is a process of learning and the more that we learn the more that we teach ourselves the more that we experience and the more we process it the right way then we start training our brain to you know open up to new experiences to open up to new values to open up to new ways of thinking 
And that, that transforms us as a character, that transforms us as a person. And because of that, you know, I know I'm not the same person I was when I was young. You're not the same person you were when you were young, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, because of that, because you have that, you know, that stuff that you've learned and the maturity that you gain from it, it enables you to reach out to other people and connect with them in very different ways. So it sounds like you've like, you've cracked the mindset thing. You, you understand, you know, how not to be a victim, but how to learn and develop yourself. But what challenges still show up now? Like what are the, what are the weak points for you? Um, even though you have all the knowledge, like, uh, is it just that you've cracked it or does it do, do these challenges still show up for you? Oh, the challenges show up all the time. Knowledge is worthless. Knowledge applied will change your life. I tell this to all my students all the time. Yeah. You know, whenever I give whenever I give a talk, I'm like, if you're here with your notebooks and you're over here to listen to a seminar, get out. <laughs> Unless you're actually, you know, Leave. take one something from here and do it, you know, then it's only gonna do because knowledge is nothing. Knowledge applied is that. And sometimes the problem with those of us who know a lot, you know, we kind of talk ourselves out of the application. That's true. You can get stuck so, in the cerebral part of like endless knowledge and not actually do the thing or come from an empathy heart place and connecting to people. You just know the stuff and it's like how you download it to them, you know, in an authoritative way rather than really connecting in a, in a human way. Exactly. Exactly. Now that, that human touch is the most important of all. Yeah. So I'd say the difficulties that I have most at this moment is, um, I guess finding a balance between my life and other people's lives as well. Because like, you probably like know a this. Boundary. As, mm. Yes. As, as a counselor and as a coach and as you, when you work with people, you know, sometimes your whole focus becomes other people's lives and not so much your own. Yeah. That's and so true. I'd say that was actually when I was reviewing my last year and I realized that my challenge for this year was going to be work on myself a bit more too. Because, you, you can know. Give everything away exactly. as well. Yeah. Exactly. Plus also you find yourself researching for the other person, you know, studying this thing for the other person. When you read something, it's like, oh, I know this person who needs this for sure. Or, oh, this would be so good for somebody else. But then you don't actually stop and say, hey, will this be good for me? Because, you know, or do I need to learn this? Or what are the areas that I need to work on in my life to take me from here to there? Because I see where I've started from. I see where I am now, but I want to go further. You know, you want to continue to grow. You want to continue to progress. You want to continue to build a life. And or to do that, you're only going to be able to do that if you're continuously progressing as well. So I'd say my biggest problem at the moment right now is creating that um, disconnect between, you know, what I need to do for to be good at my job and what I need to do to be good for myself also. Because yeah, that's so profound, because especially when you're like us and we, we feel super purposeful about giving back to other people, it's really hard if somebody comes up after a talk or someone catches you on LinkedIn or social media or whatever. And it's like, I've got, you know, people want to share their stuff because they've heard something valuable from you. And I always am grateful and appreciate that someone connects with me in that way. Um, but equally, I can't work with everyone. And when we're trying to scale, we need to be empowering people to support us to do the mission, right? And to do the work. So that thing about boundaries, I don't think it's ever a perfect science, right? Because sometimes yeah. our resilience and our resources are really high and we can give back in a bigger way. But then we keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And then we're like, I've got health issues or I'm like exhausted or yep. burnt out. And, and, you know, we've got to have these moments of uh, reflection to kind of go, what do I need in order to be the best version of myself? 
because ultimately that's going to sustain, you know, us giving back in a bigger way anyway. Right. Exactly. Um, when you are in balance, cause I know that it can be like this, right. Uh, yeah. when you are in balance, what are maybe the habits or the things that you put in place to help look after you? Uh, journaling. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. You know, take a few minutes every morning just to write, write, write stuff down because what it does is it kind of, you know, it gets my brain kind of sharpened, you know, for the day ahead, I'm able to reflect on everything and I'm able to also see what I need for me also that day. What are the things that I need to learn? What are, what, what's happening in my own life? Because as soon as you start the day, you're like, okay, so I have a call with this person. What is this person going to have a call with that person? I'm speaking at this place before the day starts, sit down and write, you know, what about me? What am I going through in this thing? How am I reflecting on my own life? So that way you spend some time in the day, you know, just working on you for a bit. Another thing I try to do is I try to take time out in my day just to disconnect, go outside, take a walk, have a bit of a breather, go have a coffee in Starbucks, listen to a podcast, or just listen to some instrumental music. I love listening to instrumental music before a meeting or something. I've also given up driving. Just because if if you've not been to India, I have you should actually. make the trip. <laughs> yes. you, oh, okay. Yeah. How did you how did you find the driving? Um, I wanna say mental. Like Exactly. I remember being on a rickshaw and it, there had been rains and um so obviously you couldn't see potholes or anything and you see like all these upended like rickshaws or people and then we were in traffic so the rickshaws just like oh let's just go into oncoming traffic let's just go onto the other end side of the highway and go that way and I'm like what are people thinking? I thought London was stressful for driving. Uh, that is a whole other level. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like the way you said mental because that exa- <laughs> that defines what I feel about driving in India. Yeah. So I've realized if I'm going somewhere to give a talk or if I'm going somewhere to give a lecture <laughs> and I need to have be in the right emotional space, but I spend about an hour Shouting at people, honking at cows, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the cows. Because, yeah, because of the brake, because there's some motorist cutting across the road or a person walking in the middle of the street. By the time I get to that place, I have no mental strength to give out. It takes me like five, five six minutes to get my own yeah. thoughts and my own piece together. So one thing practical for me, I did, I just gave up driving while I'm here in India because it enables me to, you know, sit in the back, do a bit of work take a bit of meditation time, listen to some instrumental music, listen to a podcast. So I go there full, you know, not running on empty and, you know, about to, you know, blow my top. <laughs> and so, so, and so you're doing, you're talking about the primer side of things. So how do you get yourself in the right state? Um, do you any, do anything in the, like the aftercare bit? Cause I've always found that I, I can set up for the the thing and, and I sometimes underestimate how draining it is after a day of training or speaking, like how my body is affected. And I'm just wondering if, if you need to do a little aftercare stuff or. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when you're in that moment, once again, it comes down to the science, the science of the brain. Like, you know, you, once you understand the way your reticular activating system works, it'll transform your life. So if you're sitting over there, you're handling questions, you know, you're primed in that state of mind. When you leave from that place, that's all you can think about. And you find yourself thinking about it on the way back home in, you know, in the kitchen, you know, if you're married and you have kids, I know you have kids, you know, you find that it's, it, it takes a while for the uh, emotional disconnect to come to where you can actually put on, you know, we used to call it putting on different caps. You go, this is my work cap. And now this is my family cap. And this is yeah. this and that. 
And when I was in Sweden last year, there was something pretty interesting that you know I, I found, and I've started trying to make it mine also. And the Swedes have a very interesting tradition they call fika. And what they do is um, they're salaried for an eight-hour workday, but they only work for seven hours. Mm. And the last hour is the hour they call fika. And during this hour, they all go down to the coffee shop or to the bar. They have a beer. They have a coffee. They have some pastries. They talk to their coworkers. They relax a little bit. And then they go home because the government believes that, you know, uh, Sweden has a very family-centric culture. And the government believes that if you're going back carrying the stress from work, you're doing your family a disservice. So your employees will actually pay you to spend an hour to de-stress. So by the time you go back home, you know, you're in the right frame of mind. So I, I decided, so now I have a policy whenever I'm traveling anywhere, where I'm speaking anywhere, especially on my speaking tours, I tell people, I'll come, you'll pay me for a week, but I'll speak for five days. Mm. And those two days, I'll spend some time, you know, I'll go sit in a park somewhere or I'll go to an animal shelter and I'll play with the puppies yeah. or <laughs> you, you go take a boat out on the lake, you know, just row somewhere, listen to the wind. You know, because you, you, what that does is it kind of neutralizes your mind and puts you in the space. And But when you're doing things consistently, like, okay, I have to do the talk again tomorrow. And, you know, yeah. how do I clear my going back home today? I'd say uh, meditation is always good. Just that time, you know, every day, spend five to six minutes listening, listening to some soft music, just breathing, getting your mind reset, reframed. I do that. And, you know, you got to find an activity that requires no brains for you but you know relaxes you just that, that uh, mindful me, activity yeah exactly for, uh almost mindless activity i would say mm. for me it's solitaire is it okay yeah <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll i'll play solitaire it doesn't require me to do anything beyond my brain what it does is i'll do solitaire while practicing breathing deeply and you know i'll just i'll kind of feel reset after that or you know if it's if it's something like I've had an extra stressful day or something, I'll, I'll go get a massage or I'll go get a pedicure or something. You know, this is kind of embarrassing for a guy to admit, <laughs> but I, I, I do stuff like that because, you know, I value my mental space and I value my mental health. And honestly, if you're not taking care of you, you're not disconnecting in that way properly. Uh, it's only going to spill out into your work later and you're not going to be able to give the way you're supposed to give. You're not going to be able to help the other people the way you're supposed to help. So yeah, finding ways to, you know, fix, get your mind back into a neutral place to in you order know, to dis- sustain that level of success. Exactly. Yeah. It's critical. It's critical. Um, so, I mean, I feel like we could talk all day, just, we could go down the route of the <laughs> science of, uh, of the brain. We could go down the route of just as a speaker, what are the things that we do to keep us in, in balance and, and thinking about our thoughts. Um, but I'm just going to have to get you on again, but, uh, in, in summary, I but- guess <laughs> I'm curious what advice would you give to your younger self? So, so who, to a kid who's in that victimy space, who might be being bullied, who doesn't quite have the capacity to understand, you know, atten- intention and attraction and you know all that sort of stuff. But like, what's the the first thing that they could do in order to just shift that space that they're in? I'd say the first thing I tell them is just accept the fact that you're you. You know, there, there, there is no one else in this world like you mm. there, you know, we're, we're, we're a world of about 7.5 billion people, so many different random genetic, co- you know, combinations, but there's only one you and that itself is a miracle. You know, whether, whether you, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the universe, believe in fate, whatever it is, something happened 
to put you exactly where you are, you know, for this moment in time. There's something that gave you the exact parents. There's something that gave you the exact, you know, characteristics that you have, what you might consider your pros, your cons, your flaws. And it's a miracle just to be you. And that is significant. That has purpose. That has meaning. You know, you are valued. What, you know, you are valued just for who you are, just being a human being at this moment of time in the place where you're in, in the family that you're in. Now, what's going to give you significance? What's, you know, purpose? What's your destiny, et cetera, et cetera. All that you'll find later. For now, just enjoy being you. I love that. So and, be you, you and know, be patient, right? The second thing I tell them, yeah, exactly. And the second thing I tell them is even, even though you're you, even though you are the only person of you, that's not insignificant because you have a shared experience. You're born in this moment in time. You know, you are connected to so many people to share experience. Find others to share that experience with. So start to start talking, put yourself out there, realize you're not alone. Exactly. And find, find common ground, find shared experience because everyone is facing something. Everyone's going through something. Everyone's trying to find their way on this earth. I mean, we, we come in here with nothing and I don't think anyone leaves completely knowing the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, all of life is a journey of discovery, discovery of who we are, of what we're supposed to do, of what are we here for, where are we going, whatever it is. But, you know, it's okay to not know. But there are other people who are searching for the same thing as well. So realize I, I, that mm. you are significant and, yeah. you know, start reaching out to others and sharing experiences. I love that so much because there's this misconception, isn't there, that as soon as we turn 18 or 21 or whatever the adult age is, that we'll have it figured out and we'll know what the hell we're doing. But if we learn to enjoy the journey a bit, (laughs) we just realize that that is the point. It's just like the growth and the learning and the journey. It's not about that destination, whatever we think that might be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I still I still joke and tell people, I'm like, I still don't know what I want to be when I'm growing up, but I'm enjoying getting there. <laughs> but I'm doing lots of things <laughs> along the way. Um, so David, if people want to connect with you in some way for, for speaking or coaching or anything, where can they find you? Uh, depending on when this podcast goes up, my website. Okay. Unfortunately, now it's, we're just doing a little bit of last minute tweaks to it, but it'll be up. Okay. You know, hopefully by the time this goes live, it'll be my full name, www.davidthermer.com. Connect with me there. Be very happy to speak to you. And let's let's have a conversation. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. We'll put that into uh, the show notes. David, for now, thank you so much for your time, your authenticity. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for putting up with, you know, my stumbling and (laughs) it's my first time on a podcast so i'm a little bit nervous but thank you you've been a wonderful host and i hope we get to talk again here soon we will it's great thank you thanks for listening to the adversity to advantage podcast please do subscribe and review on itunes every comment makes a difference we really appreciate hearing from you and please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training coaching therapy or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience until next time